Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or tap that little chat button right there on the KPL app and send a message through there. If you're listening through the app, great work. If you're not listening through the app, you're listening through your radio, uh, do not app and drive. But when you get to a stoplight, sure, send a message to the app. What's the worst that could happen? Anyway, lots to talk about today, but I want to start with a bill that's going through the legislature that is a very, very good thing. It is on the subject of abortion. One of the hardest things about being somebody who is against abortion is that all too often you find pro-abortion advocates on the left who will say ridiculous things like, well, if men could get pregnant, abortion would be legal in a heartbeat. You know, if we just made fathers accountable, you know that the GOP would no. That's not the case at all. And this is one of those bills that actually proves that. Part of being a pro-family, pro-life conservative is the recognition that we have to do a much better job of holding fathers accountable. You can trace a lot of societal deterioration to the collapse of the traditional family. Now, I'm not saying that single moms are terrible for kids. I'm not saying the gay households are terrible for kids or any or or anything like that. But we have disincentivized fatherhood in many ways in society at large. And as a result of that, families have collapsed and the traditional metaphorical backbone of a lot of families has started to disappear. But if you really want to incentivize fatherhood, and if you really want to incentivize people being safer with sex, you need to do what this bill does. This bill would put fathers on the hook for half of the pregnancy costs. In the state of Louisiana, this bill, if passed, and it is moved forward out of the House Civil Law and Procedure Committee, it would allow mothers to recuperate half of the out-of-pocket pregnancy-related medical expenses from the father of their child. So as of right now, Child support is required, and this would essentially extend child support to the pregnancy. As of right now, child support is really only required once the child is born. But this bill would make the pregnancy part of the father's costs as well. After the baby is born, the mother would have two years to recover the expenses, which would not include costs covered by insurance. Under present law, women have no avenue for this action. Mothers would be able to recuperate half of the out-of-pocket pregnancy-related medical expenses from the father of their child. It requires that that paternity be proven by clear and convincing evidence with the burden of proof requiring paternity to be more likely true than untrue. The proposed law, which is House Bill 5, garnered support from both anti-abortion and abortions rights groups, 
including Louisiana Right to Life and 10,000 Women Louisiana. The bill comes on the heels of a near-total abortion ban in Louisiana after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which has raised questions for lawmakers about supporting mothers. It should never have raised questions about supporting mothers. The whole thing has been, how do we support mothers? This is about supporting everyone in the family unit, but you cannot do that if the father is absent from the equation. We should, for a very long time, have been pushing these kinds of policies. If you father a child, you should be responsible for that child from conception through 18 years old. And it is a moral shame that we as a society have not pushed for that more. And every time some leftist and a pro-abortion activist starts talking about how if men were really affected by the pregnancy, abortion would be legal in all 50 states, it is patently ridiculous because it is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the pro-life movement is about. See, the problem with pro-abortion activists is that they don't actually understand the positions of the pro-life activists. Pro-life activists are really good at understanding the pro-abortion activists' arguments. I understand the argument of my body, my choice. I completely get it. I understand it. But at the same time, the pro-abortion activist does not wish to lend any credence or understanding to the idea that you are dealing with more than one body once you get pregnant. And where I am willing to compromise, like on the situation of rape, incest, and life of the mother, when I am at least able to sit down and have a discussion with somebody on the issue of the first trimester, where most of where, where most Americans are okay with abortion in the first trimester, but after that, they, they, a significant decrease in support for abortion remains. While I'm able to sit down and have those, uh, those conversations and able to articulate the other side and argue with the other side, the other side just shuts it down, and they come up with these stupid attacks on the pro-life. Well, if men could get pregnant or if men were forced to support women through pregnancy, this abortion would be legal. No, that's not the case at all. What we're trying to do is support the family. We believe in the sanctity of life because we want to see American families and all families flourish. Stronger, happier families that have come together that celebrate life, we see them as vital to the under to, to the foundation of society. And we need more laws that put fathers on the hook. We need to be better at enforcing child support. We need to be better at enforcing paternal support from pregnancy through 18 years. Time and again, It is the fathers who are let off the hook by the system. 
the system routinely lets down mothers and children. And yes, the system, when it finally catches up, favors mothers extraordinarily, but it takes a lot of time and effort to get to that point. During the pregnancy and in the early years, it is really difficult to get paternal support for that pregnancy. It's impossible in Louisiana. There is no avenue for it. And in the early years, if a dad walks out, the dad walks out. It takes a long time to fight and get that support from the father of the child. We need to do better. We need to do better at reinforcing paternal support. We need to do better at reinforcing family, the unity of family. I don't care if, if it's a, 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 a traditional nuclear family with a mom and dad, two dads, two moms, whatever. We need to focus on the strength of the family and we need to make sure that the parents are held accountable. If we're not holding parents accountable when there is a pregnancy, how can we expect to hold them accountable when their kid is now breaking the law and is constantly in trouble? How can we hold parents accountable when these kids are running amok in schools and causing all of these discipline problems time and time again? You and I both know it. You guys call in routinely and talk about how one of the biggest problems in education is the fact that nobody is disciplining the kids. It starts at home routinely. A lot of y'all have called in and said that time and time and time again. But if we're not reinforcing fatherhood from conception, which is how we treat life in the pro-life community, if we're not serious about fatherhood from conception, then we're not we're never going to be serious about parenthood when the kids are constantly getting in trouble when we expect those kids to be disciplined because we are not holding parents accountable from start to finish the biggest problem that i have the biggest problem that i continue to have with society at large is that we are extremely inconsistent on how we view accountability. Politicians are never accountable. Parents are not held nearly accountable enough. Our schools, we try to hold them accountable, but every time we try to, there's some activist group that stands in the way of that. We are not holding each other accountable enough. We are not holding our systems accountable enough. We need to do better on that. What we need is to pass House Bill 5. We need to hold fathers accountable. If you get somebody pregnant, you should be accountable for that. Not punished, but accountable. Because if you're accountable for the financial burden of the pregnancy, you may be, as an unwed father, less inclined to engage in risky behavior that will make you a repeat offender of that. Or, God forbid, we start reinforcing paternal responsibility, we may actually get better better fathers in the long run, people who feel responsible for the child. We should be doing a whole lot more for our kids. 
We should be doing a whole lot more for our society, and it starts with accountability from conception. The Both parents need to be accountable for that child. Both parents need to have a stake in the child. In order to truly be pro-life, the mother and the father need to be responsible for that life that has been created. And to do that, yes, we are going to have to make sure the dads pay their half of those costs because it's their half, it's half of the child is half their DNA. And it's really absurd to me that we haven't gotten this, we haven't gotten more laws like this already. This should be a given. If we consider ourselves pro-life, we should be pushing for laws that make sure that we treat parenthood as from conception. Not just life, but parenthood begins at conception. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation, we've got that and more coming up here on The Joe Cunningham Show. Stick around, call in if you'd like, or send a message through the KPL app chat. I'll be back in a moment right here. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show. And yes, as Bernie's voice magically did just say, go to kpl965.com for all of the headlines for today. Got a breakdown over there of the cash on hand that gubernatorial candidates have as of official filings on Monday. So I'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but I want to go to the phone lines now. We've got Camille on the line. Camille, how are you today? I'm great. And amen, amen, amen to you. I've got some great information that is scientific information Mm -hmm. that medical community does not want you to know. You ready for it? Sure. Okay. I'm a college health teacher. The textbooks are horrible. When a woman naturally aborts a baby, it's because her body can't handle it. It's like the pecan tree that releases the pecan because it's got to support itself and it can't handle a baby. Mm -hmm. But when a female chooses an abortion, any medical professional can tell you that the lobules, L-O-B-U-L-E-S, in the breast freak out and the percentage of breast cancer after elected abortions is phenomenal. But they don't want you to know that. Now, am I saying that anybody that uh, has breast cancer had an abortion? No. But it's phenomenal, the increase in breast cancer after abortions. Unbelievably phenomenal. But they don't want you to know that. Did I I get your attention? Yeah, I, I did not know that. Well, now you do. Well, thank you for informing That's old news. That's old news. Any lactation nurse or physician can tell you that the female's body wrecks itself after a an abortion that's elected. Mm-hmm. But the body doesn't have anything but a setback if the abortion is a natural abortion mm-hmm. because the body can't handle the fetus. And so it has to save the mother. But an elected abortion is horrible chemically for the for the body of the female. But we want to save both. So I'm super pro-life, and we're super praying for people. We don't hate them. As a matter of fact, there's a post-abortive 
group that a lot of us support. We love these people. We don't hate them. We're just trying to have them make a better decision for themselves and their babies. Well, thank you very much for the for the for the information, Camille. I really appreciate it. Well, people need to do the research, but you're going to find a bunch of bunk. Yeah. UNK bunk. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you talk to the real old doctors that'll tell you the truth, yeah, they'll tell you the truth. The mm-hmm. new ones just want to make some money. Not all of them. There are a lot of good new doctors out there, but they're afraid they're going to be nixed by the medical community, by the by the science, so-called scientists. But um, pharmacists can tell you, because yeah. pharmacists are chemicals. Mm-hmm. I mean, are chemists. Yeah. So thanks for what you do, and I pray for all the post-abortive and for the ones who are considering abortion, and that's what we're all about. We don't hate them. We want to help them. Thank you very much for the call, and that's going to bring us right up to the break. We're going to go ahead and take our bottom of the hour news break. We've got news. We've got a look at your commodities report, all that and more coming here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you want to be part of the conversation like Camille was, feel free to call in 232-1542 or send a message through the KPL app chat. That and more coming up in just a few minutes. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation So Politico and other media outlets have been in a rush to say that, well, it's clear that Ron DeSantis' political career is over at this point. Um, DeSantis went to Washington, D.C. yesterday, and his visit there was overshadowed by three congressmen declaring their support for Donald Trump in 2024. Um, There was a lack of commitment from congressmen and senators to Ron DeSantis, Politico dropped something like three to four stories this morning. Oh, well, this must mean the end of, of Ron DeSantis. It's a bad day. He's in a rut. All this sort of... Ron DeSantis isn't a candidate yet. You don't actually expect a whole lot of congressmen and a whole lot of senators to endorse a candidate who is not officially in the race yet. And there's a big deal being made. Oh, well, 45 congressmen have, have endorsed Donald Trump. So what? Congressional endorsements actually don't matter. You would expect a high number of congressional endorsements for the guy who used to be the president and is running again against the current president. Donald Trump is a candidate in the race for 2024. 45 congressional members have endorsed Trump. But that leaves a whole lot who haven't endorsed anybody. And Donald Trump clearly coordinated or his team clearly coordinated those endorsements yesterday to coincide with DeSantis's trip to Washington, D.C. as a means of undercutting DeSantis, despite the fact, again, he's not a candidate. But here are three of Politico's headlines this morning. DeSantis gets warm words at GOP Hill event, but few endorsements. Playbook, how Trump ambushed DeSantis in D.C. DeSantis is in a rut. His trek to D.C. didn't help. They're out there saying that this clearly spells doom for DeSantis. It's all over for DeSantis. And I'm just not seeing it. One, again, he's not a candidate. Two, he's not going to declare his candidacy until after the legislative session in Florida. And three, 
you may not notice it, but Donald Trump is actually losing steam. See, a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump was, his numbers were riding high because he had the Alvin Bragg indictments. He was, you know, the political persecution was at an all-time high, but that bump has faded. He was 26 points above Ron DeSantis. Now he's about 10 points above DeSantis. And again, DeSantis is a close second without being a declared candidate. Once DeSantis becomes a declared candidate, you're going to see more support move his way. But something interesting has happened over the past several days. Because I know you all care about the Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light stuff. You do. You care about that a whole lot. Donald Trump Jr. has come out and said, y'all need to stop paying attention to that. Y'all need to stop worrying about that. Bud Light gives a ton of money to Republicans. They're on our side. The Republican National Congressional Committee has uh, deleted their tweets that were critical of Bud Light for the Dylan Mulvaney thing. They, they, Bud Light's given a ton of money to them. Don't criticize them. I haven't said anything about the whole Bud Light deal. I, I, I've avoided, I've talked about Dylan Mulvaney but I haven't really talked about the Bud Light thing because, again, up until recently, I didn't know what a Dylan Mulvaney was or why it was happening to us. But now you have Donald Trump Jr. You have Donald Trump supporters all saying, well, Bud Light gives a ton of money to Republicans, and, and Donald Trump Jr. tells us that we, we should you know be on Bud Light's side, so let's just do it. And I, I don't think that's how this works. Again, Donald Trump has been attacking Ron DeSantis for wanting to go after entitlements. Up until recently, that was a fairly popular Republican position because of all the money that goes into entitlements, especially Medicare. All the money that goes in there and the system is destined to go broke. And Republicans have, yeah, in the past, Republicans have been have talked tough on it, including Ron DeSantis when he was in Congress. But now we're seeing Donald Trump and, and his allies start to take positions that are cutting against the conservative grain, all to go after Ron DeSantis, who, again, is not even a candidate yet. Trump is spending more time going after DeSantis than he is after Alvin Bragg. Donald Trump is on the side of Disney in the war between DeSantis and Disney. That should raise a red flag. This is all being coordinated. And now, why is Politico doing it? Politico is not coordinating with Trump. Politico is of the left. It hates Trump. Politico is a left-leaning Washington, D.C. gossip rag. It is for Washington, D.C., by Washington, D.C. It cares about all the things the left-leaning folks in Washington, D.C. care about, all the gossip of politics that goes on behind the scenes there. And what is the big thing that all the lefties are gossiping about in Washington, D.C.? Their absolute fear and hatred of Ron DeSantis. They don't like Ron DeSantis in a way they can't bring themselves to dislike Trump because they know they can beat Trump. And they've proven it. They got a senile old man to beat Trump. They don't think they can beat Ron DeSantis, so they are interested in any and all gossip that makes it look like Ron DeSantis is weak right now. 
And yes, his excursion to Washington, D.C. was a little bit lackluster, and he didn't pick up a whole lot of endorsements, and there was a smattering of applause at some of the speeches he gave and some of the events he was at. But he's not a candidate, and Donald Trump is. And for Donald Trump to be attacking a fellow Republican more than he's attacking any of the Democrats is a very big tell as to where his priorities are. When I talked about the Louisiana governor's race this week, I mentioned that I think the biggest issue for Republicans going forward is this urge that they're going to have to attack their own, to attack Jeff Landry, rather than to attack Sean Wilson or just simply spend the time building themselves up. Their impulse, especially the impulse of the, of the consulting class, the impulse is going to be to attack the front runner or to attack the guy they see as the biggest threat, even if that guy is in their own party. That's what Donald Trump is doing right now. He is attacking a member of his own party and not focusing on the fact that Joe Biden and the Democrats have led America to a cliff that it is currently unable to back away from. And that Trump and his allies and his supporters are all siding with Bud Light and Disney over somebody like Ron DeSantis, that should be problematic for everybody out there. DeSantis had one lackluster day in Washington, D.C., and the left and Donald Trump are already to say that his career is over. That's a lot of wish casting and not a whole lot of truth to that. But they need it to be true. They are willing it to be true. They're, they're trying to will it to be true because Ron DeSantis scares the media and Donald Trump equally. And when it comes down to it, if you're going to oppose one person by siding with his enemies, even though his enemies would really not want to side with you. And a lot of your supporters would really not like you siding with those enemies. Are you actually doing what your base, what your supporters really want you to do? I don't think that's the case. Now, speaking of Louisiana governor's race, alluding to that from earlier this week. There is some news out. It's officially out earlier this week. I haven't gotten it to gotten to it yet, but I, I, I talked about it a little bit on Friday and Monday. Here is the official look at who has what money in the Louisiana governor's race. And this is cash on hand for the campaigns. This does not include PACs. Jeff Landry is sitting on $6.3 million. John Schroeder is sitting on $2.4 million. Stephen Wagaspak has just shy of $900,000. Sharon Hewitt has just, has just over six hundred and fifty. dollars Sean Wilson sitting close to five fifty, dollars and Richard Nelson sitting at about two eighty. dollars Again, that does not include their packs. Now, last week, Wagaspak was touting nearly $3 million raised, but $2 million of that went to Allied PACs. Jeff Landry this week was touting $8 million cash on hand, but as you can see here, 6.3 of that is in his own campaign, which means roughly $2 million is in allied packs. 
So he's sitting on almost five or, or about five and a half million more cash on hand just in his campaign account than Wagaspak. What's interesting is that nobody's really talking about Schroeder. Everybody's focused on Wagaspak and his challenge because Wagaspak is a creature of Baton Rouge and all the media in Baton Rouge is they're pushing Wagaspak as the anti-Jeff Landry guy. None of those media will actually support Stephen Wagaspak. If it came down to Wagaspak and Wilson, they're all in on Wilson. But they really are aiming to take down Jeff Landry. And so they're focusing on this guy. He's got all the ties to the business community. He's got all these people coming out and support him. He's sitting at a little under a third of what John Schroeder has. And John Schroeder is getting no press whatsoever. But John Schroeder has run statewide campaigns. And he has a a built-in statewide network. He has a built-in donor network. And he's raised $2.4 million. He's raised, yeah, about $1.5 million more than Wagaspak has, just in his own campaign. And even if you combine the packs, I don't know what Schroeder has behind him, but if you combine the packs to Wagaspak's numbers, it's barely above what Schroeder has. And as I've said before, Schroeder's money will go further than Wagaspak's money because those pack dollars don't go near as far, they don't stretch near as far as the candidate's cash on hand does. So I think declaring that Wagaspak is a super valid challenger to uh, Jeff Landry is not quite there yet. Still, it looks like the biggest challenger to Jeff Landry is John Schroeder. And having listened to these guys speak, I really can't tell you what Wagaspak's going to bring to the debate stage that Schroeder won't. And I can't tell you what either one of them is going to, ma- going to be able to do them to match the energy of Jeff Landry. But I can tell you Schroeder will certainly outspend Wagaspak if he has to to try to get to that second that second place spot. Sean Wilson, having just over half a million on hand, he's still guaranteed a, almost all of the Democratic support. There's no other Democrat in the race. He's going to do fine. The question is going to be, can John Schroeder get enough of the vote to push Sean Wilson out and run against Jeff Landry in a runoff? We'll see. In the meantime, let's take a break. We will be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, got a few minutes left before we hit the end of the show. So I I have to I'm trying to figure out if I wanted to to bring this story up or not. I guess I'm going to. Um, I did not catch the UL-LSU game in full last night. I watched bits and pieces of it, caught bits and pieces of it, uh, did not catch the ending, but by the time I'd stopped watching, it, the outcome seemed pretty clear, although it, it, there could have been a comeback that I missed. There are two things of note in that game. One is that the Cajuns offense is still extremely electric. Love watching the Cajuns offense. I love watching their at-bats. They are incredible when it comes not just to the bats, but the, but the bags. The, their, their ability to move bases is phenomenal. 
But the other thing that really stood out is LSU's defense was just awful for a midweek game. And there were mistakes that LSU made that they should never have made. Take away nothing from the Cajuns. The Cajuns, the the way they were playing, were still bound to win that game, but perhaps it could have been a lot closer. Perhaps some of that momentum could have been uh, shut down if they weren't dropping routine pop-ups in the outfield at night at Alex Box Stadium. It could have... They, they, the, the pitching was just not what you would expect from the number one ranked team. And... Kudos to the Cajuns for getting a win over a number one ranked team. Again, nothing against them. I'm not taking away anything from there, but that was a really shocking performance from LSU. Shocking in a bad way. And going forward, watching both teams, I want to see LSU improve. I mean, they you know won't be number one after this, but you you I mean they're both in state. You 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 want both of them to be successful, but. I mean, the the Cajuns, they just have that spark in them that makes them exciting to watch, whether they're winning or losing. I mean, even in performances where they the bats haven't been alive, their ability to move the bases hasn't been as you know, at its peak, they've still been a fun team to watch. And last night was no exception. If it wasn't for the fact that I was so tired and having to wake up early to be here this morning for KDNS Morning News, I might have stayed up and watched it all. But I was exhausted, y'all. I've been exhausted lately, and I'm, I'm not sure why I'm getting so exhausted. It's not like I'm teaching every day anymore. But anyway, speaking of being exhausted and school, to the kids that are testing or are about to be testing, good luck to y'all. I know it is testing season. I know it's the most miserable time of the year for students and teachers alike. Get your sleep. Eat your Wheaties. Y'all do good on your testing. I... I'm going to step out of the studio for 23 hours. I will be back, though. Don't you worry. I'll be back tomorrow right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. In the meantime, catch me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, and email Joe at RedState.com. You can check out the podcast version of the show on JoeCunninghamShow.substack.com or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever. You can find it there. Today's episode will be up here in just a little bit, so you can check it out in case you missed any part of the show. Shannon is off sides with Gary Cruz next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.